one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security. You're talking about dreams. Mr. Carl has a job offer he would like to discuss with you. Any kind of work placement? Not exactly. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not, strictly speaking, legal. It's called Inception. Already. I think I found a way home. And this last job, that's how I get there. Dreams feel real while we're in them. It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. This is your responsibility! We are not prepared for this! out of control. You mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. My name's Tom Jennings, and this is the 24th Brain Cast. And I suppose I used to begin this podcast by explaining the absence of podcasts this year, and... I really did think when lockdown began that it would be the perfect opportunity to just record, record and record. And that was the intention and it was also the intention that I'd have all this lovely time to finish doing at my house and all that type of palaver. Unfortunately, um, life has got in the way this year and I'm sure it's been fairly um, challenging for everyone, but just to give some context, Um, Sadly, my girlfriend's father died and then a few weeks later, her sister-in-law committed suicide and this has somewhat uh, derailed um, all of our plans, everything we intended on doing. And to say it's been um, a hard few months would be uh, be a bit of an understatement. And I guess a kind of lethargy set in. I wasn't particularly all that busy with my work. Uh, Most of it was trying to make head nor tail of uh, whatever the restrictions were that day and how to communicate them. There's been a few um, short videos I made, which I was quite proud of over this time. But on the whole, it's been kind of fairly up and down with work. And I just found myself really struggling to find the motivation and to, to kind of record and to kind of write notes down and all that type of nonsense. And I honestly believed, like I suppose so many people, that this whole thing would have gone away by June, July. And it was becoming increasingly clear that over the course of the year, 
due to various incompetent members of our government and the, just the kind of the relentless nature of, of COVID, that it wasn't going anywhere, in fact. And it just seemed um, day after day, things that I was really looking forward to were being cancelled, like jobs that I had in. Um, there was supposed to be an, uh, another uh, road trip to America, which I was going to go on for three weeks. That had to be cancelled. And I suppose this all sounds very first world problems. But on top of that, there was the fact that obviously my girlfriend's situation was quite challenging and demanding for us both. And luckily, I think, well, although those those issues haven't gone away, I think there, there is kind of like breathing room has appeared now and it can kind of one can sort of kind of get things into perspective and get used to the fact that COVID's going to be here for a very long time um, and a real concerted effort to make the best of it there is a bit of extra time uh, you know not traveling to and from work and the actual workload that I have has gone down considerably and I think this is with winter setting in I really need to set settle down and uh, concentrate on things that I enjoy because I think in the time of COVID, there is a real, I don't, I don't think there is so much a mental health crisis or a kind of depression setting in um, across the board. I think what the problem is, there seems to be a real lack of enjoyment in our lives. You know, things like going to the cinema um, isn't quite the, the fun it used to be. Going out for meals and drinks isn't, it, it can be quite annoying to be perfectly honest with you on, on, the, on the times I've done. And I've just decided over the past few weeks really that rather than kind of sitting around and kind of moaning and constantly looking at the news for the new cases and the death rate and curves and second waves and all that nonsense um it really is time to kind of get my head down and actually get back to doing things i enjoy which are one of which of course is doing podcasts so hopefully this is going to spur me on to put more episodes out there um myself and Joachim have recorded a couple more episodes of the master cinema cast as well so there will be some movement on that but um, you know, let's let's cross fingers that this nightmare ends soon enough and we can kind of get back to living our lives. But in the interim, I guess, I just want to kind of put out a kind of shorter episode. And I've decided to take a look at Inception, which has turned 10 this year. There's one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security. You're talking about dreams. Mr. Carl has a job offer he would like to discuss with you. Any kind of work placement? Not exactly. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well, it's not strictly speaking legal. It's called Inception. Already. I think I found a way home. And this last job, that's how I get there. Dreams feel real while we're in them. It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. This is your responsibility. We are not prepared for this. 
collapsing. I have it under control. I hate to see out of control. Mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. Now, there is something a little unsettling when you reach a time in your life when films that you have watched or albums that you have purchased in the past suddenly come up to the phase where you're getting the 10th anniversary of such a thing. Um, and what these tend to do with me is I look back over the years of my life and think, my God, How's everything going so quickly? Is it really 15 years ago I went to my friend Ali and Anne-Marie's wedding in Ireland? And was it really three years ago I went to the Azores with my now ex-girlfriends? And anniversaries are very real monuments to the passing of time. And more often than not, for me at least, they promote happy, comfortable feelings, as well as an appreciation of the life and how it's moved on. But when it comes to anniversaries of certain film releases, I'm often surprised and if one has been a particular interest to me, I often find that my opinions or feelings towards said film have actually changed. At the anniversary screening of Dr. Zhivago, for instance, I was actually quite affected by just how much my opinion of Zhivago himself had actually changed. I didn't see him as a hopeless romantic. Moreover, I thought he was a bit of a shit to his utterly devoted wife, Tonya, and his child. I mean, he does just sod them off to be with Lara. And yes, I know it's Julie Christie, but and who wouldn't succumb to her? But And it's only having been in relationship that I've come to think like that. The actual thought of cheating on someone is actually quite vile to me, especially with my wife or my wife and child. So seeing this rather philandering doctor did rather scupper my thoughts towards the man himself. Yet a good anniversary is always nice to go and revisit a film. Over the past 12 months, there seems to be a slew of important films that have received 10, 20th anniversary, 25 anniversaries or whatever, that have made me really excited to go back and revisit them. And I had absolutely no idea that we'd reached the 10th anniversary of Christopher Nolan's Inception. And love him or loathe him, what cannot be denied is that Nolan is a director who truly loves the medium of cinema. Not on Netflix, not on home video, but a man who makes films that need to be seen on the biggest screen possible, often using IMAX cameras, with a particularly aggressive sound mix and loud soundtracks. It seems strange to call him old school, yet the medium has gone digital and for every Nolan, James Mars, and yes, Michael Bay, there are a host of directors currently working whose films seem to be the very opposite of how we would classically label being cinematic. I love Kelly Reichardt films, but in many respects they are almost deliberately uncinematic with their Academy ratio, an aesthetic that some may find quite pedestrian. Notably, Quentin Tarantino has been a quite strong critic, as has recently braised and Ellis, and although I see their point to a degree, I don't agree with it personally, as I for one believe Reichardt to be one of the most interesting filmmakers working today. Ken Loach is another director whose work doesn't need to be seen on the big screen and no doubt spectacle is secondary consideration to the types of stories he is telling. I often feel the same about Mike Lee, whose filmography has yet to yield a single film for me that I actually enjoy on any level whatsoever. And I know it's a slightly controversial side, but it's how I feel. 
But all being said, there is something extra special when you are watching the work of an artist who wants to give you experience that you have to be in the cinema to truly appreciate, and Nolan is one of those directors. I've seen all his films in the theatre and simply conceive of waiting for them to come out on Blu-ray to watch at home. And let's be honest, Nolan can be quite a divisive figure. His films are essentially about male experiences. His is a masculine world. I've personally no issue with this. Why not? He has no obligation to make films other than the one that he wants to make. Yet in the culture we find ourselves today, for some, is atypical of a cinema that is dominated by men making films for men. It's grossly unfair and I doubt the vast swathes of female-led projects are cancelled by Warner Brothers to fund Nolan's work. For me personally though, I do and have found it quite frustrating when fans of Nolan's work seem to behave as if he is the only director that has ever lived. The Dark Knight was the pinnacle of this for me. Anyone who dared suggest the film had issues was often the recipient of hysterical online lynch mobbing who could prove by intensive frame-by-frame -frame analysis that you were wrong fuck off and stop soiling the Dark Knight's reputation. For many, the Dark Knight trilogy are the greatest achievement on in cinema and good on them. Uh, yeah, I was always more interested in the films he made in between the Dark Knight trilogy and after. Interstellar is not only one of my favourite films ever made, it remains, as far as I'm concerned, his greatest work. Their prestige is still a wonderfully playful work that despite relying a lot on a twist ending, hasn't diminished the fun and impact of the film I have watching it on repeat viewings. Dunkirk is possibly his most experimental for and possibly his greatest technical achievement as a director. He takes an epic chapter in history and distills it into taunt exercise in cinematic exploration of time and suspense. It was kind of a wages of fear-esque experience to me. I was never comfortable during the film, it made me physically react to it and should have bagged him a Best Director Oscar, but then again, what the fuck do they know anyway? Or me for that matter. Today, however, Inception is what I'm here to talk about, a techno-noir thriller made after Dark Knight, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Cillian Murphy. The premise of the film is a world where ideas are stolen from subjects via their dreams or in the case of the film, an idea being placed in the subject's mind through a dream. And it is in itself a tantalising concept. Dreams have, for obvious reasons, fascinated our species. And there's a lot of evidence as long as goes 3000 BC, our ancestors were trying to interpret and understand them. A common thought, it seems, from various civilizations that were dreams were a way of reading special communication from the gods or our ancestors or guardian angels. And in the age of psychoanalysis, Freud ventured the idea they were echoes of our fears and desires. And I've often been surprised by how many of the people I've spoken to who believe them to be a form of precognition, warning them in some cases of events to come, or to avoid making certain decisions with regards to their future. It's worth actually noting that during the coronavirus pandemic, I have had almost weekly dreams, it seems, involving some kind of impending apocalypse and it normally manifests itself where I'm kind of in the position where said event is about to occur like two days later and I'm trying to work out how much food to pack, uh, is there enough petrol in the car and what's quite bizarre actually and if there is a form of precognition to dreams um, it seems in the event of the apocalypse I do manage to remain completely calm and in last night's stream even went to the effort of managing to procure some wine before I kind of drove to God knows where to avoid it. Anyway, I digress. But but my own, I do have 
an, another experience of dreams in that I experience lucid dreaming quite regularly um, and for anyone who's not aware of what that is it's actually when you become aware of the fact in a dream that you were dreaming and you can exert a certain degree over of control over what is going on um, there is a downside to these uh, actually which I often have nightmares and lucid dreams which result in me screaming um, to try and wake myself up and many a girlfriend has shown a great deal of sympathy at the beginning of this and towards the end of relationships normally just tells me to shut up and stop making noise. Um, I had a couple of sessions in sleep clinics as well and I can confirm they are possibly the weirdest place on earth. But anyway I digress which is kind of why Inception has really interested me when I first heard about it and I've always felt that the dramatic potential of dreams has never really been exploited satisfactorily before in any film that I've seen. Most of the time dream sequences in films are utterly terrible, they're a bit like sex scenes, rather unnecessary and more often not terribly shot, normally in a kind of soft focus with echoey voices. And Inception is the only thing I can think of and if I'm actually wrong, please do let me know and send me some examples, that mainly takes place within, the act within an actual dream very kind of Matrix-esque kind of, but if anyone actually does know of any kind of, any sort of Inception-like films that I might have missed, please do send them on to me. But in Inception, I don't think Nolan is making statements or philosophical points about dreams. Moreover then, he's using them as a playground to let his cinematic imagination run wild. Now, much of the first half of the film is taking up explaining the rules of this dream world. It is literally what the Ellen Page character is for. What happens if you get killed in the dream? Can you manipulate the dream? What are the physics of the dream? How ideas can be stolen, etc, etc. It's all pure exposition. Yet it's all completely necessary because films like Inception need to explain themselves, need to understand what the peril of these environments is. And again, I go back to The Matrix, it's another film that does exactly the same thing in terms of explaining what goes on within The Matrix. Yet far from being tiresome, all this world explaining is actually one of the film's charms. If you manage to keep up with all the techno babble people are speaking, something I really struggled in uh, Nolan's latest film, Tenet, there's a palpable sense that Nolan can't wait to unleash this world upon you. Yet there's a familiarity to what we see. This is a heist film of sorts played out through a kind of William Gibson science fiction filter. Cobb, played by DiCaprio, reminded me of a Jean-Pierre Melville character given a makeover by Michael Mann's stylist. A lone male operating in the world of professional crime. The morality of what he does is never really explained. Is he a good guy or just a well-dressed com common criminal? But let's be honest, he looks cool and he's mates with Tom Hardy in the film, so who really cares? Cobb's biggest secret, however, that he must keep from his crew is that his very own subconscious is actually attacking him in the form of, his, of Mal, his dead ex-wife who killed herself in the mistaken belief, a deep state dream that her and Cobb were in, and, tried to, and trying to get her out of the dream, had placed an idea in her head, therefore inventing the concept of inception. Through the history of Hollywood, thieves, outlaws, town sheriffs, rogues, whoever, have tended to be wedded to existential guilt, an unwritten moral code, perceived masculine norms that dictate their behaviour. It's why Neil McCulley has to go and kill Wayne Grew at the end of Heat, and in effect bring about his own demise after we heartbreakingly him stick to his own rigid coda of walking away from his lover. In Inception, Cobb is wedded to the grief and guilt of Mal. He keeps her buried in the recesses of mind, such is the strength of their mental hold on him. 
On this viewing of Inception, it was this aspect of the film that intrigued me most. Nolan has an uncanny way of inspiring aspects into his stories that root the grandiosity of them in very human elements. In Interstellar, a film of repeat with some of the best visual science fiction, science fiction visuals ever created, he grounds the film in the humanity and the relationship between Murph and Cooper, with the agony of Cooper's mission played out in the scenes where his daughter's ages greatly in front of him, to the point where, come the end of the film, she is actually older than he is. It's a perfect way of making fantastical world he creates far more relatable. You might not believe in robots and space rockets, but it doesn't take much to realise that seeing your daughter age before you would be a truly, utterly horrific event. Inception takes grief and regret and manifests this into a physical form. Our inner demons are with us, occasionally coming through into our mind and requiring various coping mechanisms or indeed physical intervention to deal with them. I, for one, occasionally crave a cigarette to the point where I actually contemplate going to buy some, having given up smoking over 13 years ago. And in more extreme versions, I do degree of, a degree of guilt over a relationship that for some reason, whenever I smoke cannabis, leads to long, quite harsh moments of self-reflection, where I can honestly say I don't really like the person I was in that particular feeling. However, in Inception, Cobb has literally to face his guilt and inner demons and for, many, and for many people, they actually do describe these in a phys as physical incarnations. Richard Burton once described alcoholism as a big fella he had to punch in the face every day. And some days, it seems, the big fella would knock him out. It's a frankly terrifying prospect. And whether or not Nolan intended to explore this theme in such a way with Mao is, is hard to say. She might just be a very convenient plot device. But nonetheless... Cobb feels more than just the sum of his parts. And one of the common criticisms known I have come across that is the films replace nuance and characterization with large set pieces, bombastic scores, which effectively make up the deficiencies in the actual depth and nuance of his characters. It's a roundabout way of people saying he's more about style over substance. It's not actually a criticism I agree with. What I think is, is that people are saying his films have an illusion of death, that on the whole there is nothing more really going on other than the noise and spectacle, and that Nolan's scripts are flattered to deceive in their apparent sophistication. It's, often, it's actually led to him being described in certain quarters as a very sophisticated hack, conning the masses with his superficial yarns, and that his film's inherent laziness of scripts and logic are indicative of the very plight of cinema that the masses are simply failing to notice. I don't agree. In Cobb, no, Nolan repurposes the thief's ultimate goal of financial reward into a quest for paternal reunion as a reward for his successful mission. In this case, he'll get to see his children again that due to Mal's suicide, in which she has effectively framed him for her death. He is unable to be with them. Nolan's detractors, I think, are missing points like this. Yes, Inception is a huge film, but it's its character motivations that are essential in the logic of the films that make them far more relatable. We want Cobb to succeed, and just because we only know him in the present, i.e. we know very little about how he got into this trade, or why or how he got the money to do it, he doesn't seem shallow and the film doesn't have time to go into the whys and the hows. We just get on and move we just get on with it and move on with the plot which I suppose for some might be objectionable if they're wanting a more nuanced character study, but that simply isn't what Nolan does, I don't think. And it's the immediacy of Nolan's films that I sometimes enjoy the most. I didn't only need to see a single thing about Tom Hardy's fighter pilot in Dunkirk. I just want him to survive, and Nolan knows how to make an ex the experience of this as gripping and as cinematically satisfying as can be. 
As a fan of genre films, Inception is an interesting blend of several. The mise-en-scene of it is firmly rooted in the high genre. Men in cool-looking suits discuss the score planning it and assembling the crew in vast warehouses. And of course, there's some very science fiction touches, the bending streets, a now legendary special effect that I've seen ad nauseum on every hipster travel insta Instagram account and the actual concept itself of being able to inhibit someone's very dreams is again I would go back to the likes of William Gibson or someone like Philip K. Dick and in short Inception despite not being one of the most humorous of films there isn't much laughter to be found here is really good fun because of this genre mashup and of course we are here for the heist in this case Cillian Murphy is to be given the idea of breaking up a vast business empire upon the death of his father this is so that the heist backer Saito can swoop in and clear up the industry making him even richer there's no moralizing of what is going on that's for the afternoon credits have rolled and as we move into the film's second half we are adrift in Inception's world what is reality what is dream and what the hell is going on for these people and you have to have a degree of trust with films like Inception indeed anything in which you are entering a creator's world as abstract as this and that, that the creator of this world knows exactly what they are trying to, to achieve how it works and that they have a definitive vision of where it's all going so basically the complete opposite of someone like JJ Abrahams Nolan seems to be completely in control of this world and again to reference the above mentioned Abrahams who seems to conceptually enjoy world building yet fails to understand such places need logical sense and dramatic reason for existing Nolan stated that it took him years to write the script for Inception almost 10 years in fact and whilst watching it again it did make me realize that Nolan as a writer is somewhat underrated he has an uncanny ability to chuck you into a complex environment, move the story along and simultaneously give you the necessary material to understand what the what, what is going on. To give context to this while watching last year's science fiction outing High Life and Ad Astra, I found myself frequently coming out of the story to question matters of logic and reason. And I don't think it's picky to wonder why in the case of High Life you would crew a spaceship with criminals or in the case of Ad Astra that someone really has to go to Mars to send a message to someone when you could have really recorded it and just emailed it. And this isn't nitpicking, it's lazy screenwriting and whilst Inception made it lack a degree of warmth, it is after all an incredibly clinical film. Once we're in the dream world, Nolan doesn't cheat you by, lazy write, by lazily writing his way around an inconvenient problem. It's also clear from his body of work that he has a fascination with the concept of time Typically, the narrative of a film is linear, that time unfolds in a way we understand logically, i.e. follows the standard mode by which we live, which is that time is always going forward. What's fascinating with Nolan's work is that how time itself functions in them. In Interstellar, time is a protagonist. The, the time dilation effect means that an hour for Cooper and the characters means, takes, means several years for the place they're trying to save. In Tenant, a film that I do need to go and see again, a war is literally being thought through time with both events in the past and present and future interacting at various moments, leading to the gloriously named Temporal Pincer Movement in which knowledge can be acquired by one's future self to defeat one's current enemy or something, I don't know, that might be, that might be it. At Tenant's conclusion, a quite incredible set piece, visually various events simultaneously 
in the same shot occur in different times. Even if the film had lost me a bit, the concept itself was quite frankly thrilling to witness. And it did lead me to that rather wonderful moment where you're watching a film and you can honestly say you've never seen anything like it before, even if I am still slightly unsure of it. In Inception, of the potential penalties for the protagonist is to, be, is, that, is to be in a kind of time purgatory in which your dream state will literally last for hundreds of years. And yet the most interesting application of time in the film is a set piece involving three separate locations all unfolding at various different speeds and moments in time. One could invoke D.W. Griffith's intolerance as a clear inference on Inception's standout set piece. And I dare say they were one, were one feeling picky, they might roll their eyes and scoff at Nolan, simply at Nolan simply rehashing what has been done before. Yet again, I'd beg to differ on this. Time is a constant in our life. We reflect on it a great deal. Indeed, this is an anniversary look at the film. I'm only talking about it because 10 years has elapsed. I, 10 years have passed and the passage of time seems significant to me. I can say that in 10 years I've moved, in that 10 years I've moved house, had three different relationships and experienced a great deal. To my We are in my favorite time of year, the autumn, a time where I feel there's a very visceral sense to the, that the year has changed, the leaves on the floor, the colors in the sky, etc. And of course there is that creeping feeling that I'm getting older. Look through the Facebook profile from when you first signed up to it to where you are now and there is a scarily different person who looks back at you from time. So in Nolan works, time is important, he's, and his characters are so aware of it and are on an immediate level. The auteur theory of film criticism invites us to look at a director's body of work and find interlinking themes running through the DNA of a given body of work. Nolan likes his audiences to make up their own minds about his films, and it leads to the kind of conversations I actually like to hear about films as opposed to one that's simplistically fawn over Rotten Tomatoes scores. As such, when I think about time inception, I see Cobb as suffering from a multitude of time-related consequences. Time is literally catching up with him in the form of his dead wife fighting his way through his subconscious. His present involves a battle through his target's mind with its various obstacles and the future possible reconciliation with his children. Trauma is also a regular motif in Nolan's work, as is family. Inception fills there for, for me the most Nolan of Nolan films, with a central male lead protagonist fighting against very real and internal enemies. Not having had children myself, it's strange how I can relate to certain films. I can watch Close Encounters and feel nothing but happiness for Roy Neary as he walks out with his family and sods off with the aliens. Others watch it and justifiably think he's a right scumbag for walking out on his family, and they do have a point. The family in Nolan's films are often an incomplete unit. Bruce Wayne, an orphan, Cooper, an interstellar, a, widowed, a widower desperately trying to keep his family together despite having to leave them and ultimately being thwarted by time itself. Cobb is effective in this techno heist thriller, the criminal desperately trying to atone for his past in order to get back with his children. His amorality, or at least the morality of what he is doing, is never really explored. Instead, we assume Cobb to be good simply because he wishes to be reunited with his kids. Nona makes him a prisoner in a false reality in which death or purgatory could be a very real possibility. And the past is significant for, for Nolan. In Memento, we travel back through the film's narrative to a twist ending that affects the present where we join the film at the beginning. In effect, we catch up with the past by going through the film in a kind of faux non-linear way. Although it appears Memento 
Through the revelations of the narrative is heading in a classical A to B style, we are fat working our way back through time, which is contrary to the classical narrative structure. The past inception intersects with the present constantly. We repeatedly go back in to reveal why its significance is so important to the film present. Yet as we travel back into Cobb, Cobb's inner motivations, and they are slowly revealed by its nature, some of the film's ambiguities. It could be argued that the past presented in the film is not a wholly accurate reflection of the reality of what we think we are seeing. And so this was the case for Mal, who could not distinguish reality from dream to real life. In Memento, Leonard's past reveals that his future was based on a lie that he himself has committed himself to believing due to his condition. In Inception, Cobb in the past created a lie for his wife through the use of Inception of an idea that would ultimately lead to her death. If we are to believe the film, as I do on its face value, I therefore find myself wondering is making some kind of statement about how we relate to the past, do we recall it accurately, and effect, do we want to recall it accurately to cushion ourselves from the present? By keeping her in a kind of mental limbo, Cobb is constantly trying to atone for what he has done, yet as we see the past and the truth contained in it, it's constantly trying to reshape his present. Again, this makes me wonder what is being said here. Can we escape our past or will it always catch up with us in some guise? Interstellar is essentially a film about a man trying to tell his past self not to do something. Yet the film conclusion offers some comfort that Cooper having made peace with his past indiscretions, i.e. his now elderly daughter, that the past he thought he was trying to mend has actually become a viable future. Perhaps Nolan is telling us that the present need not dictate the future to the degree that we think or perhaps believe it can, therefore suggesting a hopefully, a hopeful and indeed deeply comforting message that we are more than the sum of our past actions. In Memento, there is certainly a form of nihilism in the film. Leonard's future is essentially a fruitless pursuit of vengeance. Yet in Latin Odin films, the future seems to be a slightly more encouraging place. And I suppose, who really knows? And I guess it's the fun of the film that we can even, I can even find myself thinking and talking about it in this way. I could just be talking a load of utter bollocks. But to me, at least, it's more interesting than harping on about The Dark Knight for three hours. And as the film races towards its conclusion with ever-increasingly higher stakes, and let's be honest, I think on the basis of Inception, I think it's fairly obvious no one wants to make a Bond film, or at least watches a lot of them on repeat. The visceral thrills of the film, the ski chases, the gunfights did slightly detract from my overall enjoyment of the film. I was beginning to feel, if I'm brutally honest, that Inception was beginning to overstay its welcome, but it is spectacle cinema and it delivers those incredible effects. The huge Hans Zimmer score pounding away, declaring every single massive thing that happens in the film with bombast and showmanship in a score that thanks to Johnny Marr's guitar riff has become quite iconic. It still dazzles and there's plenty to sink your teeth into. And as an older person, I feel I got more from than just the visceral excitement that I had upon seeing the film for the first time. I can't say I've really gone back to Inception though in the intervening years. My go-to note from the film is Intercilla, succeeding my previous favorite, The Prestige. And controversially, perhaps, I'm still not entirely convinced that the Dark Knight trilogy is really as good as people think it is. But there is one thing about Inception that has always slightly bothered me, and that is the ending. 
I've always personally found it a little bit annoying. I don't think Inception is a film that I really wanted to have an ambiguous ending for. I'm certainly not opposed to these types of endings. Something like The Thing, for example, is perfect the way it ends. But Inception, I felt it needed a definitive answer. I'm pretty certain Nolan is just being playful. How could you not resist to do this at the end of the film? And it has promoted the type of debates on Reddit, Twitter and whatnot where often someone will write a post along the lines of something like why inception is all a dream followed by readings that microanalyze the script and the mise-en-scene and the clues that people think they are there by reading some book that nolan might have referenced long ago blah de blah de blah which yes of course you can ignore and again it's all part of the fun of films like this yeah it does kind of create a bit of noise in your head sometimes but I guess I'm just being old and belligerent. I would have just liked a definitive answer to the film. Because if it is all a dream, then it is all rather pointless. But that all being said, it's all good fun when it comes to talking about films and inception. And I think it's why it will be a film that people go back to and talk about for many years to come. Deep down, though, I just really liked the Cobb character. He was someone who I felt I could relate to and I enjoyed rooting for him and his team throughout the film and all being said I think Inception stands up um, for anyone who's actually interested I did actually watch two versions of the film um, in, in preparation for this I watched the the blu-ray and the UHD 4k release that has recently been uh, come out on a Christopher Nolan box set and honestly truthfully this is one of those UHD upgrades, which I don't really think makes a whole heap of difference. Um, so if you were thinking of upgrading, I would probably just stick with your Blu-ray for the time being. But that's going to be it for this episode of the 24 Frames cast. Uh, my apologies, it's taken so long to come out and I hope you enjoyed it. There will be more coming and Joachim and I will fire up the Master of Cinema cast in due course. Many thanks for listening and I'll be in contact soon. Bye.